Okay, we're just starting now then, all right? <laughs> so I'll give him a wee introduction again. The three words that I felt that God wanted us to uh, really get into our hearts for the weekend that Joyce already mentioned is the word change and comfort and challenge. And as I said, it's a, for such a time as this weekend, which is a, a phrase in the book of Esther, but actually this is going to be over us for four different ladies, starting with Tamar. I think it's really important before I read this story that, um, that in terms of change and comfort and challenge, I think you'll probably find all of these three things in this story. This is one of these stories that you may know well and you may never have heard this story before because it's a kind of a, it's one in the Old Testament that's not heard about so often, but I love this story and I think you're going to be excited before the end of the night about it. So are we, are we ready? Okay, well, let's. I'm going to read the story right through, um, even though it's quite long, and I'll stop here and there. I'm reading it, reading it in the New Living Translation. Um, about the time that Judah left home and moved to Adullam, where he stayed with a man called Hara, there he saw a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua, and he married her. Now, I want to just stop there, and I want to t- remind you that Judah was one of the sons of Jacob, And later on, it was going to be prophesied that through Judah would come Messiah. So he was one of the the 12 boys that Judah had. Do you remember what happened to one of Jacob's sons, Joseph? Anybody remember what the brothers did to Joseph? They sold him. So this story happened after the brothers had sold Joseph. So Judah obviously had, uh, I would say, when they sold Jacob's favorite son, Jacob was in an awful state and uh, I would say that Judah left home because he couldn't bear to see the consequences of what he and his brothers had done. So this is a time in Judah's life when Judah is very ashamed of himself and when Judah is not living the way God intended him to live and he's actually a very um, bad example of what a man of God should be because it was after this story that he actually came back to God. So we're seeing Judah at the worst point in his life, just about, probably when he sold Joseph, Joseph, that was maybe even worse. But this is not a good time in Judah's life, okay? So he married, it says, there he saw a Canaanite woman, that was a pagan woman, and he married her. So he'd gone off and married a pagan woman, which he shouldn't have done. When he slept with her, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and he named the boy Er, E-R. Then she became pregnant again and and gave birth to another son, and she named him Onan. And when she gave birth to a third son, she she named him Shelah. At the the time of Shelah's birth, they were living at Kazib. In the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn son, Er, to marry a young woman called Tamar. But Er was a wicked man in the Lord's sight. So the Lord took his life. I think we'll just stop every so often if we go through the story. All right? So Judah, he's at a bad time in his life. He and the brothers had sold Joseph. He's not, too, he's not too happy with himself. He's feeling under guilt and condemnation. He's living now in a different place. He's left home. He's married this pagan woman and he has these two sons and the oldest one is called Er. And Er actually means watcher or watchful. Now I wondered when he named this boy, whenever this baby was born, I wonder did, did, was he thinking, God, are you still watching me? I'm just wondering, is it, was that why he called his firstborn uh, Er, watchful or watcher? 
was, I think there was still a fear of God in Judah. So he called him anyway, but didn't, the, obviously he had married a pagan woman. Jacob, I think, was a bit passive, because if you go back to the family tree, Isaac and all of the ancestors were a bit passive at times. And he doesn't seem to have disciplined these boys. And this firstborn son called Ur is actually, the Lord describes him as being a wicked man. So can you imagine Judah is, is going to get a wife for him? And even though he knows the son hasn't been disciplined, and even though he knows that the son is wicked, he still goes ahead and arranges a marriage with a wee girl called Tamar and brings this girl to the house. And uh, I don't know what kind of a life she had with this boy, but he's, he's described as being wicked. So I would say that she knew what it was like to suffer a bit of abuse in the house. I would say she was used to um, not being treated very well. And uh, I don't think she had a very easy marriage. So anyway, uh, it just simply says the Lord took him. That's a bit scary, isn't it? Huh? That because somebody was wicked, that the Lord would just snuff them out. It just shows you the power of God. So in those days, um, it says that... Um, it says that, in, that, uh, that uh, but Ur was a wicked man. The Lord said, so the Lord took his life. Verse 8, then Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, go and marry Tamar as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an Ur for your brother. So uh, in that custom, the, the custom was that if, if, a, if, a, if a woman's husband died, then the next brother, he should take the wife and he should marry the wife, but actually the first child that they would have, all the rights and all the legacies would go to the first child. So this boy Onan, whose name means powerful, he's powerful. I wonder was, was, uh, was Judah still thinking about God being not only watchful but powerful? And he had called the second son Onan, uh, meaning powerful. And, uh, and so um, when Onan would, would marry Tamar, if they had a child, that first child would inherit all of the brother's belongings and would actually take, would be counted as a brother's son. So uh, I'm going to read on and then we'll explain it. Okay, so it says that then uh, Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, go and marry Tamar, verse 9, but Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. Right? So whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he spilled the semen on the ground. That's very graphic. Some of the other ones says he spilled a seed on the ground. I think that's the way it's put. But anyway, I think you all get the, get the sense of it. All right? So this boy wanted to enjoy himself, but he didn't want to have any babies, basically. All right? It says, this prevented Tamar from having a child who would belong to his brother. So... Can you imagine what uh, Tamar would feel like? Because remember, she's been married to a wicked man. He, I don't know how, if he slapped her about or how wicked he was, I, verbally or physically, I don't know what she put up with. But she, in those days, they married young, so I'm guessing she, she was taken to this, this house at a very early age, brought into this house, treated very badly by the first husband, probably, dear forgive me, but probably, be, you know, breathed a sigh of relief whenever the Lord did take him. And then the next thing, she's landed with another one. And he, he's, he's not so wicked, but he's crafty. And he wants to use her, but he doesn't want to give her a child. And you see, you've got to remember the importance of having babies back at this particular time in history. Because do you remember way back in the Garden of Eden? Do you remember after the sin? Do you remember, what did God say 
to them. He said that he was going to destroy the serpent's head, that's Satan, by the seed of the woman. So the serpent, Satan, had been watching to see who's coming down the line. Maybe that's, I mean, we're kind of off course, but maybe that's why the two brothers, Cain and Abel, you know, destroyed each other. Because that serpent is getting in there. He doesn't want the seed coming down through the woman. And he doesn't know how long it's going to be before the seed of God comes that's going to, destroy, going to crush his head. So, you see, <laughs> Onan was working along with the devil, with Satan, because he didn't want seed either. He didn't want, he didn't want Tamar to get pregnant, but Tamar desperately wanted to have a baby. Because way back then, there would have been this idea, and especially from Judah's family, it was Judah's family that had been promised that down Judah's family tree would eventually come Messiah. So this wee girl, Tamar, is desperate for a baby, but Onan, he's playing a crafty one, and he is making sure that she's not going to get pregnant. And so it says here, thus he prevented her from having a child who had belonged to his brother. But look what it says in verse 10. But the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life as well. That's husband number two has gone now. And, uh, and so Tamar is now left and she's still a barren lady and she doesn't have any children then it says in verse 11 then judah said to tamar his daughter-in-law go back to your parents home and remain a widow until my son shelah is old enough to marry you but in brackets it says but judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid that shelah would also die like his two brothers so tamar went back to live in her father's home so are you getting the story so now she's lost two husbands. She's probably still a young girl, probably still in her teens. And now she's been exiled to go back to her own house. And Judah said to her, it's okay, whenever my third boy, whenever he gets a bit older, I'll arrange for him, you know, to marry you. But he's no, he actually has no, he has no notion of doing that. He's actually telling her a lie. And so, by the way, if you know the story, put your hand up. Quite, quite a few. That's good, okay. Because it's a, it's a rare story, isn't it? You've got to remember that Judah was at a low time in his life. He was not the man of God that he was later going to be. So it says then in verse 12, Some years later, that wasn't the next week or the next month, Tamar is living a widow's life, dressed probably in black, living with her parents, no hope of remarrying, she can't move on because she's still tied into this family. And until Judah does what he should have done, until he arranges for her to, uh, to have a child through Sheila, uh, she is never going to have any babies. And she's trapped. She's in a trap. And so it says, after a few years later, it says, Judah's wife died. Now, you've got to remember that Judah could have, he could have married her himself. He or the other other son, Sela, any of his family could have produced a, a son for Tamar, and that son would have been um, counted as the, the first uh, son's wife or a child. So it says in verse 14 that Tamar was aware that Sheila had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil. Now, I've missed a verse that's very important. I need to go back one. All right, go back to verse 13. Someone, sorry, go back a bit more. 
some years later, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend Hara, the Dolomite, went up to Timnah to supervise the shearing of sheep. And someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear the sheep. Now, Tamar was aware that Sheila had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So she changed out of her widow's clothing and covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. And then she sat beside the road at the entrance to the village of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. And Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute since she had covered her face. So he stopped and propositioned her. Right. Now we'll just hold it there for a wee moment. There's a wee thing I hadn't told you. I'm all through myself here tonight, but sure, that's all right. You're going to go with the flow with me, aren't you? I told you the name of the first son was Watcher, Air, Watcher, or Watchful. The name of the second son was Powerful. The name of Sheila, the third son, was Missile. Weapon, or actually to sprout, something to sprout forth. And I actually wonder, you know, as I was thinking about this tonight, I wonder if Judah had given his third son a chance, you know, would God have used him as a as the missile to as the as the one who would sprout a new life that she would have a baby? I don't know. But there's what I was thinking the reason I'm going back to that is this. Because tonight I'm really feeling I really felt it was important to say that we're here tonight and God is watching us. And we need to know he is a watcher. And we need to know that he sees everything that goes on in our lives. And the names of these three sons are really very significant to us. And we need to know the second son, Onan, means powerful. And we need to know that God is powerful. And that God can do anything in our lives. And the third son, meaning missile, and I've been praying about this this last few days in particular, that God would take his word and he'd put it like a missile right into your heart. Because I'll tell you what, ladies, you see tonight, I can honestly tell you this, what I'm bringing to you tonight, it's nothing to do with me. I, I know that I could, I, could be, I, could be, I could be awful and get all jumbled up, or I could be wonderful, I could be flown. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't take it like a missile and put it into your heart, there'll be no change. And we're talking about change tonight. Because I believe that God actually does want to bring about change. I really do. And I believe he wants to do... Uh, I believe he wants to do a permanent change. Rick Warren says that change always starts in your mind. That the way you think determines the way you feel. And the way you feel influences the way you act. So it's really important that what we hear gets into our hearts, into our heads, into our hearts. Leonard Ravenhill says, the question isn't, were you challenged? The question is, were you changed? So tonight, we're actually talking tonight and we're telling the story, but as we get towards the end of the story, I believe you're going to see there's an opportunity for change for us, for all of us. So let's continue with the story. Where do they get to? She's dressed up in the prostitute's gear. In those days, this water is great. <laughs> in those days, there would have been like um, there would have been when a woman when a woman was destitute, like prostitution would have been the last resort, and it was a very shameful thing. 
Tamar must have been very, very desperate to resort to this because she knew that the only way she would ever have seed in her womb, the only way that she would ever reproduce a child would be if some of the family, if Judah or else Sheila, the two left, if either of them would do it. And she heard, she just happened to hear, I'm quite sure that this wee girl had been praying. And I'm quite sure that God uh, was with her, even though she was debasing herself to sit by the side of the road. And here, let's read on, because this is so shameful, and yet we're going to see that there's great victory at the end of this story. And it says that she sat beside the road, and then in verse 15, that Judah noticed her and thought she was a prostitute since she'd covered her face. So he stopped and propositioned her, and he said, let me have sex with you. And he, he, said, he said this, not realising that she was his own daughter-in-law. How much will you pay to have sex with me? Tamar asked. Now remember, she's got this big heavy veil over her. She probably tried to change the voice a bit. He says to her, I'll send you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. But what will you give me to guarantee that you'll send the goat? She asked. Well, what kind of a guarantee do you want? He replied. She answered, leave me your identity seal and its cord and the walking stick that you're carrying. So Judah gave them to her. Then he had intercourse with her and she became pregnant. Afterwards, she went back home, took off her veil and put on her widow's clothing as usual. Later, Judah asked his friend, the Adullamite, to take the young goat to the woman and to pick up the things that he had given her as a guarantee. But Hara couldn't find Tamar. So he asked the men who lived there, where can I find the shrine prostitute who was sitting beside the road at the entrance to Enum? We have never had a shrine prostitute here, they replied. So Hara returned to Judah and told him, I couldn't find her anywhere. And the men of the village claim that they've never seen a shrine prostitute there. What do you hear what, what Judah says? Then let her keep the things I give her, says Judah. I sent, I sent the young goat as we agreed, but you couldn't find her. We'd be the laughing stock of the village if we went back to look for her again. Another translation says we'd be shamed. He knew he would be, he, he, he was feeling the shame. And so he thought he had just covered up and nobody would ever know about it. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has acted like a prostitute. And now, because of this, she's pregnant. What did Judah say? Bring her out and let her be burned, Judah demanded. Do you see what an all-time low this man was at? You see, the law said that if you were, if you, if you were pregnant outside of, of childbirth, that it didn't always happen, but you could have been burned. They could have been stoned or burned. And so he is so, up, he is so high and mighty, and he is so self-righteous. Verse 25. I love these verses from verse 25 to 30, girls. These will do you good. Verse 25. But as they were taking her out to kill her, Tamar sent this message to Judah, her father-in-law. The man who owns these things made me pregnant. Look closely, whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Was he ever caught out? <laughs> Judah recognised him immediately and said, She, that is Tamar, is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son Sheila. And Judah never slept with Tamar again. And so you see, he was shamed, but he did own up. And he, he recognised that she was more righteous than he was. Now, the, my main sermon is over the next, uh, next uh, few verses. 
verse 20, 27. When the time came for Tamar to give birth, it was discovered that she was carrying twins. And while she was in labour, one of the babies reached out his hand, and the midwife grabbed it and tied a scarlet string around the child's wrist, announcing, this one came out first. But then he pulled back his hand, and out came his brother. What? the midwife exclaimed. How did you break out first? <laughs> so he was named Perez. Perez means break out or breakthrough. Then the baby with the scarlet string on his wrist was born, and he was named Sarah. This means bright. So do you get the story, girls, that, uh, that this is a situation where a young woman is desperate and, and really her only hope of having a decent life at that time was to, was to get pregnant and to have a baby and, um, and then she would have been included in the family and she would have had honour and uh, it, was, it, was, it was really all. I mean, otherwise she was, she was going to be doomed to be in that widow's garb the rest of her life. It's interesting that whenever Judah's wife died, it tells us that he grieved for her. And when the time of grieving was over, that's when he got himself sort of to go up to the sheep's ear. He was ready to move on. He had done his grieving. He was ready to move on. But he wasn't allowing Tamar to move on. He, had, he wanted to keep her stuck where she was. And you know what, girls, I think that we need to realise that the enemy does not want you to go through healthy grieving. We're going to be looking at grieving a bit uh, in tomorrow, one of the talks tomorrow. He does not want you to, 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 to go through and to, to move into, through a healthy grieving and into the plans that God has for you. He wants to get you stuck and he wants to keep you needle, like in widow's garments where you can't move. And he doesn't want you to get spiritually pregnant. This girl was looking to be physically pregnant. But you know what's more important? Spiritual pregnancy. It's far more important, important that we are women who can get spiritually pregnant. And I'm going to talk about that towards the end. But here's the thing. Judah had or Tamar had insisted on a pledge. She wasn't going to uh, have anything to do with Judah unless she had a pledge from him. Unless she had something that she could prove who the father was and obviously she had been praying about this and obviously she was coming to be this shrine prostitute at the time in her cycle where she knew she was open to get pregnant and you know what the Lord Lord was there and the Lord made her pregnant now I want to look at these verses because when I think of the twins in her womb I think of the double blessing I think God was giving her a double blessing because I believe that Tamar kept herself right I believe that Tamar loved God and even though Judah was backslidden. Do you know what, girls? Even, even in times whenever we're away from God, the world still sees God in us at times. You can't actually... Would you agree with me? If you really and truly belong to God, I have seen people who have really and truly belonged to God, and even when they're drunk, they're still talking about God. Isn't that right? And you know, if you really belong to God, even if you've made some wrong choices and you're going down the wrong route, do you know what? There'll still be little flashes of God come out of you because you're sealed and you belong to him. And so I believe that Tamar had caught a sight of, of God in Judah. She knew, in fact, she would have known about the God of Judah anyway because that part of the world, uh, Jacob's family were well known. These 12 boys were well known in her society. She knew that they belonged to the God of Israel, a different God to the pagan gods. And I believe that she was lining herself up. She wanted to be lined up with the God of Israel. 
And she wanted this baby, not even just for herself, but I believe she wanted this baby for God as well. And so God's given her the double blessing and she's pregnant. Now here's the thing, while she was in labour, now can you get this? Right, she's having, Laura, you're not that long having a baby. Right, we're not going to ask you for the graphics, Laura. But you know, you know that push, you know. And, and as she is in labour, these two babies are struggling in the womb. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the two natures that are in us. You see, the moment that you get saved, you get a new nature. The Holy Spirit, as you know, comes to live in you. But you've still got an old nature. So that's why you struggle at times to do what's right and you're pulled to do what's wrong. Because your old nature is pulling you one way. But the new nature that was born of God through the Holy Spirit is actually pulling you and wanting you to do what God wants you to do. But the old nature is it's pulling you away from God. It's, it's, it's wants you to behave in the way that you always behaved. And in the middle of giving birth, one of the baby's hand comes out, right? Can you get this? And so the midwives, remember the midwives, they were helping with the pregnancy. And the midwives, they're always very, very particular because the, the first child that comes out is the one that's known as the firstborn, who's going to get all the blessings. And so as soon as the hand come out, they put a scarlet cord around this baby's hand. And that was so that they would identify this is the child that came out first. All right? But then the next thing is a bit more of a struggle. And the next thing, out comes the other baby, breaks through. The other baby, whatever way they were fighting in the womb, the other baby breaks right through. And out comes the other baby, and it has no scarlet on its hands. And the midwives, they're shocked. And they're going, how did it break through? And, and so they realised that the, the, the firstborn had the scarlet cord, but the second one that came, actually came out, it had no scarlet cord. Now, what's this all about? Well, oh Lord, help me to get this across in a real simple way. What does it say in, in Isaiah chapter 1? Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. So, so scarlet in the Bible very often speaks of sin. And so that first baby that got the hand out reminds me of my old nature. Right? And when they tied the scarlet thread around it, it's identified as being an old nature. And you know what, girls? So often you and I, even though we're saved, we're born again, we love Jesus, we've accepted him, we know we're forgiven, so often we still act in our old nature. And it's the nature with the, with the, the scarlet cord around us. But you see, because at the moment of salvation we get the Holy Spirit to come and live with us, we get a new nature. And in this particular case, although the old nature came out first, the new nature broke through. And the midwife were shocked and said, how did you break through? And you know what I'm going to tell you what I believe the story is, what the meaning of it is for us this weekend. That so often you and I, we want to, we, we, we want to act, we want to do the best for God. We want, to, we want to obey him. But so often it's our old nature. But you know what? When we are actually operating in the new nature, we have the capacity for breakthrough in any situation.
Now, I want to read this to you because I can probably say it better in my notes. Within us all are two natures that struggle. One is our sinful nature, which seeks to be firstborn in our lives over and over and over again. That old nature in you is still trying to get out. It's the one would rather, and the enemy's saying, go on. And so often we can act in our flesh, our old nature. And the second nature is conceived in our spiritual woman, a spiritual womb at the moment of salvation and God wants the second nature the second uh, the, the second baby to be birthed first instead of the old nature the new nature has a capacity for breakthrough in any situation and it was purchased for us by Jesus Christ at the cross so what does that mean for us well whenever I was in, in um, whenever I was over in uh, Savannah there a wee while back we had a conference over there with some women, and we had we had a, a like a little place to walk around afterwards. I'm giving you some sheets, but they had little little prayer stations to go. And uh, one of the prayer stations we had put down, you know how it's really good to kind of take the promises of God and to tie them onto ourselves. In fact, the Bible actually says. You know, to bind that we're to bind God's law. That's why the Jews tie the scriptures onto themselves. They took it physically. So, in one of these prayer stations, uh, some of the ladies had put out red little strands of red cord, and uh, I didn't. I wasn't thinking of this or anything at the time. But uh, I, I went round when the conference was over. I went round myself and did the <coughs> prayer stations myself. And I came to this, and I saw a strand of red cord. And you know, it really touched my heart because red isn't only the picture or the colour. It's, 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 it's not just the colour for sin, but it's the colour of redemption. Because when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he shed his blood. What happened at Passover? They put the blood on the door. The red stands for redemption. And so when that wee baby put his hand out and she stuck the red it was to say yeah that's the old nature your old nature will come out first to try to come out first but you know god wants to redeem our old nature and to put the cord around the arm so it will be identified and you know in america and down in savannah i took a strip of this and i tied it round my wrist and i thought i want to remind myself yes that i have a sinful nature but i want to remind myself that i'm redeemed that i belong to god and uh, it was only just uh, two or three days ago that I was, I don't know how I came across this, but I didn't realise it, but apparently red string or red cord is actually something that they do in Israel and have done for years. You know that, Glenda? And uh, it's this red string from near the western wall in Jerusalem, wearing a thin scarlet or crimson string was a type, uh, of, it was something that the, the Jews, Jews did, it's like a folk custom. They kind of saw it as being something that would ward off evil, sort of like a custom. The string itself is usually made from thin scarlet wool thread and it's worn as a bracelet or band on the left wrist of the wearer. Now, it's very interesting that uh, this actually around the 1980s and the 1990s was actually very popular. And I know this is really of no consequence, but I'm going to tell you anyway because I thought it was very interesting. Do you know some of the people that have worn the, the put this on their wrist? Madonna, Michael Jackson, Demi Moore, Britney Spears, Mariah Carey, Kelly Minogue, Mick Jagger, 
Naomi Campbell, Camilla Parker Bowes, if you please. Um, Victoria Beckham, Leonardo DiCaprio, and listen to this one, Vladimir Putin, although he wears his on the right arm. Now, we don't know why they have chosen to probably like a fashion statement or something. I don't know why they would wonder. Maybe they think it's something that is a spiritual thing for them. But you know what, ladies? I'm going to leave this wool out. Is it, is it a cult they were for? Hmm? Sorry? Is it a different reason why they were? It's Kabbalah? Right? Yes, it's probably for some other, there's another kind of a, uh, something or other, yes. So, so some of them are doing it, I think, maybe for Jewish reasons, and some of them maybe from some other, some of those other cults or whatever. But the point is this, that I'm going to leave this out, because I think it'd be really good for us to be thinking this weekend, you know, are we actually operating out of an old nature? Or are we really wanting to change and to know that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can actually operate in the new nature? When we ask God to help us and we're willing to be obedient, we can actually make a change that we don't automatically go into the old nature every time and we can begin to operate in the new nature. And the new nature is where the Holy Spirit anoints us and the Holy Spirit gives us the, the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit that we can actually overcome where in times past we would have just kept going through the same old cycle and making the same mistakes. The Holy Spirit can actually enable us and empower us to actually break through and get a breakthrough in some of those situations that you've been stuck in for years. You don't have to be stuck in it. Change starts with, what do we say? With the way that you think. When you begin to think differently, then you'll find you begin to feel differently. And when you begin to feel differently, you begin to speak differently. And then that leads to actually the change coming about. When you start to think it and feel it and speak it, you will find that you can change out of those ruts that you're in. And, and if you want to, I'm not saying you have to, but if you want to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to tie a piece of cord around my, around my arm later tonight, just as a sign that I have a nature that is prone to sin. You know, I think it's really good to know ourselves. I could tell you what my besetting sins are. I'm not going to ask you what yours are. Do you know what mine are? Pride. So often I, I, I listen to what the enemy thinks. I think, okay, I could do that myself. No, I can't. Jealousy. Do you know it's possible to have spiritual jealousy? To be jealous of other people because maybe they're more spiritual than you or whatever? I know, I know myself. And you know, there's no point in us putting a big polish on it and saying, oh, sir, not at all, we wouldn't do that. Yes, we would. But I tell you, we've all got an old nature and it's, it's, it's identifiable with the red cord. We have an old nature and you know what? We needn't look at anybody else and say, I'd never do what they did because you don't know what you would do if you were in their situation and I don't know what I would do if I was in their situation. There's nothing in this world that will be too base or too awful that I might not do. I tell you, we need to realise we are plagued with a sinful nature and it will follow us. But you know what? When the moment of salvation, when you trusted Jesus as your saviour, the Holy Spirit came and give you a new nature. And you know what? You are now empowered for breakthrough, girls. And you can have breakthrough over this weekend. And I would encourage you when you go in tonight, I would encourage you to take a bit of time and go through the Tamar notes and take some time and ask God the questions and write down some stuff and see what God wants to do with you over the weekend. But here, before we go, we've got to remember, remember the midwives. 
Can you imagine the excitement of those midwives? They're around her. Come on, you girl, you push. Do you know what we need? Do you know what we need? We need to be midwives to each other. We do. When I see you struggling or you see me struggling, we need to be getting right and saying, come on, you can do this. Pray. Pray until something happens. That's the push. Get the push going. Come on, girl, you can do this. We need to be encouraging each other. And you know what? If we really loved each other, when we see each other working in that old nature, when we see the wee hand coming out with a red cord on it, <laughs> if we really love them, we'll be saying, do you know what? I think maybe, 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 maybe you should think a little bit more about that again. You know, you can say it in a nice way. Like Jane and I are honest enough to say, if she th- sees me getting my tail off a bit or I'm getting, you know, or I see her, we're honest enough to be able to say, well, maybe that's just not the most spiritual way of thinking about that. <laughs> And if we loved each other and trusted each other, we could be midwives to each other to help each other to identify when we are acting in the old nature and to encourage each other that we can get breakthrough. Listen, is there anybody in this room that dares put their hand up to say they don't need a breakthrough this weekend? Every, I believe every one of us needs a breakthrough in one area or another. So this is the start of our breakthrough, and I believe God wants us to know. Now, here's the thing. We've got to finish it up. Oh, Flip, there's a story I was going to tell you as well. We haven't time. How long am I talking here? How long am I talking here? Uh, no, I was just going to say, I was going to just say a couple of things, and then I really will speak, and I don't want to be really, really long over the weekend. But um, there's a couple of things. The amazing thing is that the, the two boys were born. The first one that came out, the one that gave the breakthrough, was called Perez. Perez means breakthrough. Do you know what God did? God put Perez right into the family tree for Jesus Christ. Do you know that through Perez comes right down, right down to Jesus coming to the stable in Bethlehem. Imagine, out of a shrine, her acting as a shrine prostitute, and Judah at his lowest pits in his life going into a prostitute on the side of the road, a shrine prostitute at that. From a pe- thought he was a, that she was a pagan prostitute and, and was so far away from, from God that debased himself to that level. Isn't, what about God's grace? Isn't he amazing? Now listen, I don't think any of us are, have got to that level. We've maybe some things that we need sorting out this weekend, but you know what? God wants to use us as women who bring forth spiritual seed and spirit. And with that, I'm going to tell you this quick story. Way back in the... In the um, I'm telling you this story because it, it ties in with this and, and, uh, and because, I, because I want to. <laughs> um, way back in the 1990s, uh, and I know I'm, I feel I'm always talking about this in a sense, but uh, uh, about that time in my life, but uh, that time in my life was so important. You see, if you're going through a, str- a time of struggle now, I want to really encourage you that that's the t- very time that God wants to use that struggle to make you fruitful. I want to encourage you that that struggle that you're going through right now is the very thing that God wants to use for the future that he has planned for you. So going through my struggle was going through a a marriage that was falling apart, leaving the mission field, what I thought we were going to be, coming home, marriage falling apart. And in the middle of all of that, I had a dream. And I had a dream one night that I, I was spiritually pregnant. And in the dream, I could see myself. I was really, I thought of my stomach, and I was really fat. I was pregnant, and I heard a voice in the dream, and the voice said, "This is not a natural pregnancy. This is a spiritual pregnancy." 
And I woke up the next morning and it was, the dream was very, very real. And uh, that was the middle of the week. And at the end of the week, I was going down to a conference, very much like this, down in Castle Wellen. And on the way down, I travelled down with a woman on the way down. And I said to her, shared with her about the dream. And uh, told her about what I'd felt. And, you know, it was a very unusual dream. So we went in anyway. And at the end of it, the guy was called Joe McIntyre. It was an American guy. And... After he'd spoken, he asked if people wanted prayer ministry. So, of course, in those days, I was very broken. I was just just in the point where we had had a legal separation. I was very, very broken. And, um, and of course, I was up, the, up like a flash to get prayer ministry. And there was another bunch of women standing alongside me. And they were all women, most of them that I knew from the church that I was going to at that time. And as, as Joe McIntyre went down that line... And I heard him praying over, and he was from America, he didn't know any of us. As he started praying over uh, individuals, I was pricking up my ears because I knew these women and I knew what he was saying was, was right. So when he came to me, uh, here's what he said. And it was something like this. I realized afterwards it was verses he was referring to from Isaiah 49. He said, the children that you will have after you have lost the others will say again in your ears, this place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. And he looked at me and he said, God's telling me that you're spiritually pregnant. Well, I nearly fell off my feet because I had never actually, I was not familiar with that term at that stage. I am now, but I wasn't then. I nearly fell off my feet. And he said, the Lord is, he said, is going to, he's in a day coming, he said, the Lord is going to, going to do so, so much that you're going to look around. And he says, it's as if the children that you've lost, the things that you've lost, you're going to look around and you're going to say, where did these come from? Who are they? Where did they come from? And that's what the verse says. Then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me since I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive and wandering to and fro? And who has brought these up? There I was left alone. But these, where were they? Listen, out of your most awful, barren, desolate moment, God wants to use that to shape you, to bring you to a place of fruitfulness where you will look around and you say, God, how did this all happen? How did, how did this ever happen? How have you done this? That's what God wants to do. That's the breakthrough that God wants to do. I remember like a few years going past and a lot of grief, a lot of pain, a lot of crying, a lot of lot of tears and stuff going on and I remember <laughs> I remember one day I was driving around the roundabout at, at the at Lurgan there and the, and the, going onto the motorway and I can remember the moment you ever just remember the moment I'm driving around the motorway and I remember bringing around that roundabout and I remember I actually said out loud I said God what about this pregnancy <laughs> when's this baby coming God and I was pulling the car down and that night that night, I was talking to a friend on the phone, and we, we, a friend that at that time, don't see so much of her now, but at that time we would have prayed a lot on the phone together. And out of the blue, she says to me, Mo, I just felt that God give you this verse. And she said, it's a verse in Isaiah 66. And I got the Bible out and I read the verse. And here's what it said. Shall I bring to the time of birth and not cause delivery, says the Lord? Shall I who cause delivery shut up the womb? says your God. Listen, God is so real. He wants to speak like a missile right into your heart. He wants to hit right into your heart tonight.
And he wants you desperately to have breakthrough. And you know what? For such a time as this, you and I both need, all of us, we need breakthrough in our lives. Breakthrough out of wrong thinking patterns. Breakthrough out of wrong habits. Breakthrough out of stuff that's pulling us back, wrong relationships or whatever it might be. We need breakthrough and God can do it. And we have the Holy Spirit in us, in us who has given us a new nature. I'm going to put the red cord on. It reminds me of the old nature. And we need to remember that. Don't let's get ahead of ourselves and think we're better than we are. We've got an old nature that will run away with us. But it reminds me better than that, that I'm redeemed, that I'm bought with a price, and so are you. And let's tie the cord round, and let's know that God's with us this weekend, and he wants to do work, and he wants to do change. And this is the beginning of it. So may God bless you. Father, we just pray for your blessing, Lord, as we finish. We know, Lord, that we need you so much, Lord. And we're just asking, Father, that you would really come and meet with us individually because, God, we know that without you we can do nothing. But we know with you, Lord, that nothing is impossible. And you know every heart of every woman in this room tonight, Lord. You know everything that's going on, every desire. You know every area where breakthrough is needed. Lord, will you just teach us and help us to be teachable? And, God, will you open up our eyes and understanding as to what you're saying? to us. And God, we just want to thank you that nothing is impossible with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing that last one. Uh, we can move the mountains again. And Jane's just getting ready. So I think it was number nine. And then if you just give your if you give your either leave your hymn sheets on the, on the chair or give them to uh, your hymn sheets, your song sheets on the chair or give them to Pauline or Heather. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of the Saviour, the hope of nations.